You're listening to Parenting Our Future with certified parent coach, Robin McMahon, author of The Yelling Cure and founder of Parenting for Connection. My podcast is all about providing you with the tools and solutions you need in your parenting so you can create the family you always wanted. Hi parents, it's Robin McMahon here. Just before you dive into this episode, I wanna invite you to join my new membership site for free. My site, which is at www.parent-toolbox.com, is the companion to my award-winning podcast where you will find game-changing tools and resources from me and from my expert guests who are among the top leaders in the parenting world. Join for free today at www.parent-toolbox.com. Now back to the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Parenting Our Future. It's Robin McMahon here, and I have a really great guest. Okay, guys, we have never talked about this before. We're talking about relationships. We're going to talk a little bit about sex too. So let's just get comfortable, have a glass of wine or whatever it is that you want to drink while we're, while we're talking about this. So my guest is Dr. Jolie Hamilton. She is a research psychologist, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and ASEC certified sex educator. She's spent the past two decades studying and reimagining what love can be if we open our imaginations to possibility. Jolie helps people create partnerships that are custom built for their authentic selves. No more shrinking, pretending, or hiding required. She's the least judgmental person you will ever meet. I love her. Welcome, Dr. Jolie Hamilton. Thank you for being here. I am so excited to talk to you, Robin, and to your audience. I listen to the podcast and I can tell that anybody who takes the time to listen to Parenting Our Futures, like these are the people who are going to change the world. So I'm super excited. Thank you. Oh, that's so great. Well, you also have a very popular podcast yourself with your best friend, right? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm co-host of Claim the Stage for people who are trying to break out of their shell. It's about public speaking, but also about personal development. Because what we found is when we develop ourselves, when we really dig into the stuff that's hiding in the corners and scaring us, it's so much easier to go out and actually claim the stage. So I love it. I love it. And you are so what, what I love about you is you're open, you're honest, and you're like, look, this is me, take it or leave it. Right. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So what we really want to talk about is relationships as we're raising our kids, because we know, and it's so funny when I hear people say, well, you know, we thought we'd have a kid to, you know, help our relationship. Well, that's not a great strategy because if anything's going to ruin your relationship, it's adding another human into it. Right. So, um, so you have a lot of experience. You're a mom of seven and, um, you have a lot of experience. Um, you have an ex-husband, you have a current husband and, uh, and so you know what it's like to have a, have a struggles in a relationship for it to break down, but then to also have sort of this aha moment where you realized, Oh, this is what's going on. So do you mind telling us a little bit about your experience? I would be happy to my story. I think Though it has its little idiosyncrasies that make me seem like a great big weirdo. Like, for instance, I'm not monogamous and ethically so. So that sounds shocking to some people. But my story starts like everybody's does. I fell in love with someone and I got married. And Mm. then it wasn't this easy, straightforward, just open the book and go through the playbook. Instead, it was really hard. And we kept hurting each other and brushing Mm. up against each other in ways that woke up the worst parts of ourselves. My first husband and I were, um, we were high school sweethearts and we, we did all the things we got engaged. We got married. We bought a house. We had our first baby. And by the time we had 
all four of the children that we had together. It, we had reinvented ourselves over and over, but we had never, not once, really looked at what was creating the tension and the hostility that was sort of the undercurrent of our life. And I can only say that in retrospect. I can only say it because there was a pivotal moment when I realized that I no longer was in love with this person mm -hmm. and um, try as I might, it just wasn't, it wasn't going to work. When I left him, it was really, really easy to imagine that by replacing my partner, I would have <laughs> the life I actually wanted. I yeah. had fallen in love with somebody else and I was going to have the life I dreamed of. Guess what? I did okay. not change. So <laughs> yeah, I did not change me. <laughs> and yeah. so shockingly, my life was still kind of a shit show. It was, <laughs> it was really, really difficult. Um, yeah. I don't think anybody could have taught me this though. Nobody was going to get through to me because I, I needed to recognize for myself. And I hope that anybody who's listening right now who has an uncomfortable reality, an uncomfortable just day-to-day -day experience in their marriage, take a moment and do a deep exploration into yourself. What is it about you? What is it inside of you that is crying to get out, that is creating your half of this story? You mm -hmm. aren't the problem, but neither is your partner. Like outside of actually abusive relationships, we are mm -hmm. co-creating our reality. Mm -hmm. So it was actually, oh, so I'd, I'd left one husband. I joined a triad that went all kinds of sideways. Yeah, all kinds of sideways. I love ethical non-monogamy, but it is not easy. I don't recommend it. And it is definitely not a way to fix anything. It's yeah. a way to do some really hard relationship work. So that was really hard. It didn't fix anything. Then that changed gears and I found myself ready to marry this person, this man who I loved, but we were winding up with the same fights and the fights centered around the same kinds of things. Like how do we get on the same page about raising the kids? Yeah. How do we figure out what we want our sex life to look like? How do we figure out what it means to talk about the things that we really wish we never had to talk about? And I was four years into that relationship before I realized light bulb moment oh, if I don't do my work, my side of the street, I will just continue to have the same relationship over and over again, no matter how many times I change my partner. So I decided to do it. It's not wow. been easy. But I sp I've spent the last 12 years literally studying my way out of that mess. I went back to school. I got a bachelor's in psychology, a master's in depth psychology, a doctorate in depth psychology. I became a certified sex educator because that added into the whole puzzle. I did all of that mm -hmm. because I couldn't find the answers in any one place. And so yeah. what I do now is help people sort of coalesce all that stuff that it takes so much. Mm. Well, it's so interesting because we dive into raising kids and we're willing to put our relationship on the back burner because mm -hmm. the kids are there, right? And really, it should be the opposite in a way, and not maybe the opposite, but it, you know, you, don't you want to give them that strong foundation of a really strong marriage first? Yeah, it's you, you, when you put your marriage on the back burner because of the kids, you're causing one set of problems. If you focus on the marriage, so much that you're neglecting the kids, obviously that would cause its own kind of problem and does happen. In fact, it 
frequently happens when people put their kids on the back burner in addiction scenarios, right? Like yeah. that happens. Yeah. We, we know that being one-sided isn't helpful, but that doesn't mean that we don't just keep acting it out. And whatever pattern you were raised with, whatever was going on in your household, probably some aspect of that is playing out. And you're like, why am I in this story again? Yeah. It's like, it's happening to you, but we love what's familiar. We, in fact, when we seek love, we're not seeking our, our, we're not taking into account what our deal breakers list and what we want, how we want to raise children with somebody. Most of us go out and we look for someone who, you know, we have chemistry with, you know, who we have chemistry with people we're familiar with yeah. patterns we're familiar with. So we get ourselves in situations where now we're trying to raise children with someone in a pattern that didn't work for us when we were children. Right. right. We're going to have to fix that. We have to deal with it. It's yeah. not simple, but that is the work that can lead to creating not just a marriage you enjoy, but a marriage that, yeah, like actually actively supports your children, breaking the cycles of unhappy marriage and, and having the ability to go out and create relationships that they want. And my own kids are between 14 and 21 now. So I'm on I'm on that, that stage where I'm like, okay, did it work? How did it go? Yeah. <laughs> and y'all yeah. can keep checking in because who knows for sure how it landed, but they are all able to see that they get to choose, that they mm -hmm. choose their relating. Mm -hmm. I hope that that makes the difference because yeah. that's what I would ask everybody to do. You're choosing what's happening in your relationship and that's yeah. the joy. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting when I look at my own relationship and my husband and I, uh, we met when we worked at McDonald's together when we were teenagers yeah. and uh, he trained me on grill. Um, <laughs> so we, we trained me how to make the, the Big Macs. Um, and then, uh, and then later on in our twenties, we, we, uh, well, okay. I stalked him and then, and then I, um, I, I pretended like I didn't know he lived where he did. And <laughs> I called you him had your, your wiles. Yeah, you did yeah. it. <laughs> I just knew I just wanted that guy. Anyway, I love him to death. He is my best friend, my favorite person. And what we recognize in our relationship is that we both need to be heard. And that is where our problems are. We actually have um, really similar dads who are a little on the ADD side, right? So they're not good listeners. And uh, they like to be the center of attention. And um, they're sort of narcissistic as well. Yeah. I mean. The narcissistic uh, tendency is so real. Like somebody doesn't have to be diagnosable to have yeah. these self-absorbed tendencies yeah. that cause real problems. And because we are these sort of, you know, um, people pleasing kind of people, um, we just took it even though it hurt us. And so now in our relationship, that's where we get mad at each other, like rage at each other when we don't feel like we're being heard. Yep. Right. So it's like very a hot potato. Yeah, toss, yeah. Toss that frustration back and forth and it's an endless cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, with the work that I do, which is a, really a lot about communication, we are able to talk through that. But I remember how hard it was in those early days when our relationship felt transactional mm -hmm. and it was just like two ships, you know, like just passing, you know, like you got the lunch, I got the lunch you're going to pick up. I'm going to drop off. You're going to do this. I'm going to take them to practice. You're going to be home and I'll make dinner and then we'll put them to bed. And then we flop on the couch in a coma basically, and then do it all again the next day. And I remember a time when we weren't getting along and, you know, work was stressful for me. Kids were stressful. Everything was stressful. And I remember we weren't getting along 
And there was that moment, that moment where we looked at each other and I, I don't remember the words that we said, but it was like a make or break moment. Yeah. And I'll never forget how scared I was because I didn't know what he was going to say. And thank God he said, no, I love you. I want to be with you because I thought in that moment, maybe we were going to break up. And even now I feel scared thinking back to that. And so what do you say to families that let's talk about the early stage of being parents who are finding that their relationship has gone from being centered around them and their love and all that stuff to being transactional and like all of this overwhelm, how do we get to stay connected with each other? Those early years, in fact, especially the first 18 months, they're yeah. a tender time. And culturally, there is zero support for that. You have a baby and people are going to go easy for you know a couple of weeks if you're lucky. And mm -hmm. then boom, life returns. So we don't, we can't rely on like a larger social system to really hold us. And that's not about like governmental systems. That's about just our, our, our world, right? And so since we don't have that, we have to create it ourselves, which means there's just the two people mm. trying to, or maybe if, yeah, I guess if you're in a really complicated relationship, maybe you've got three, you know what? Still wouldn't be enough. It's not like, that's not enough hands on deck when you have little kids. So the first thing I would say is give yourselves the credit that one, you're doing what you're doing for a reason. Like you, mm. you're, you're doing the, you're parenting the way that you are for a reason. It it does make some internal logic, even if it doesn't make sense, there is internal mm -hmm. logic to it. Give yourself a break and don't try to say, well, all of it has to change. And instead return to what, what one thing could we change mm -hmm. to be able to turn toward each other for 15 minutes a day, mm -hmm. 15 minutes. That's it. I, I have seen people turn the whole ship around on 15 minutes a day. Hmm. because what happens is that that cycle that you're in and maybe maybe you're nursing a baby or maybe there's you know two toddlers oh my goodness that cycle can lead to entire weeks and months going by without any intimacy and yeah. you know we could talk about sex but but forget that for the second what about the intimacy between two people who knew each other and now have changed you have now both entered parenting now you have an identity shift now i'm a parent who am I as a married parent? You can't prepare for that. You have to experience it. But That's 15 great. minutes a day is enough to start reintroducing yourself. What would you do if you were presented with a new neighbor? They move in next door and their yard is super close to yours. You have like, there's barely breathing area, right? You're going to have to be in each other's spaces some. You go get to know them. Get to know them. Don't wall yourselves off because you're going to share space reintroduce yourself to your spouse. And that could take the form of short conversations. I have, I have the curiosity date is a great way to do this. Um, yes, which everyone can have. Yes, yeah, everybody can have that. It. Yeah. It's a free date. It doesn't have to be hard and it's great no matter where, what stage you're in. The, the intentional turning toward your spouse in those early days is a reminder that you are actually on a team and you will get through this mm -hmm. as a team. But right now, you don't know each other. Guess what? You had a baby. You thought you were just introducing one new person. Nope. Three new people. Now you have yeah. parental identity shift and a new person to learn who they are. So everybody's got to get to know each other. And that's going to be emotional intimacy, 
you know, it's going to be the, yeah. the communication. How do we communicate about this new thing? It's going to be the physical intimacy because you may be experiencing a lot of feeling touched out. So what do you do about it? That's real. You're not imagining it. You might feel touched out. How do we have the conversations that let us reconnect? We start by saying, it's okay that it changed. It's okay. We're not trying to go back. There is no back. Do not look in the rear view mirror, unless you're having one of those beautiful nostalgic moments and you're holding hands on a, on a date on your anniversary and you're remembering. Other than that, don't look in the rear view mirror to fix a problem in front of you. Instead, look at each other, really look at each other. It's, it's the only way. You know, I remember this moment, I was talking to a friend of mine and uh, I, I just, I was sitting at my computer and uh, a wedding picture, our wedding picture popped up and I was sitting, <laughs> I was sitting at my computer in a, in a head to toe flannel nightgown uh, with Birkenstocks on. And um, like, I, I was like, I think that was false advertising. <laughs> I was way heavier in my weight. And I think that like that for me personally, I'm really sensitive about that. I'm sensitive about my body and all that yeah. stuff. And, and it changed me so much. Like I was so much heavier and I was ashamed of it. Right. Plus I'll, I'll say too, that, you know, I couldn't feed my child. I couldn't like, I couldn't nurse. I had a C-section. So there was a scar there. There was all this stuff. So physically I changed. And then emotionally I was so different. And I just, I was, I was just, I was, I was just not the same person at all. You're so no. right. Yeah. And you have to grieve the person yeah. that you were who no longer is. And you have to grieve the well, yeah, you don't have to, but if you don't, you're just going to live with it for the rest of your life, exactly stuck like this. You also have to grieve the imagination of what this was going to be that, yeah. you know, tossing all the stuff in the diaper bag and looking super cute in your post-pregnancy clothes and heading out the door. And all, yeah, none of that happened for me. And I was no. like 22 and it still didn't happen for me that way. Yeah. It's not recognizing yourself in the mirror. Now imagine, does your spouse do, like, do they, or are they like, what? What has happened? Who is this person? Are they able to adjust? And what I find is it's that people presume that we should just get it. Like I've known him a long time. Oh, he should just yeah. get it. She's known me. She, I've always been the same. No, you haven't. I promise you've changed. We, yeah. we, want, we want our partners to just get us, but really what we need to do is crack open and allow like if, if you ha had called me on the phone well, in that flannel nightgown, I've been like crying your eyes out. I would have said, okay, first off, I'm coming over because we're going we're gonna to do the community thing for real. But the second thing I would have said is you need to get to know yourself again. You need to let yourself have that time. It's okay. Everything's going to slow down a little bit. It's fine. And the only place you can turn in those moments is a little bit of faith in like, this is, this is part of life. Sequencing is normal. And, and I'll tell you, I didn't right do now. that. I didn't do any of that. I hustled to get back to my weight, mm. um, hustled to look like I did before. Um, proud that I, you know, was able to shed that baby weight, you know, all that stuff. Oh yeah. And really yeah. that weight, that weight was an incubator for, for life. And no. all it was, was a, a physical manifestation of your change, your change. Yeah. Humans. It's like a metamorphosis. Really, 
Right. Humans really reject the idea of change though. It's why we struggle with transitions so much mm. because the idea of change and my husband has a great thought on this. He says he thinks that we reject that transition that does that, that change because in fact, we're so adaptable that if, <laughs> if we didn't have a little resistance to change, we'd just be like change, change, change all the time. Cause humans can just, we are great at shifting and adapting to new circumstances. So it's finding your balance point. How do you slow down and allow yourself to accept that you are changing, mm -hmm. reestablish your identity as a person with your partner? Mm -hmm. And that is, if you can, if you can hear this, and if you're in pain right now, you might not be able to. So bookmark this spot and come back to it. It's okay to need to grieve first. In fact, I encourage it. And then, and turn toward your partner share the pain of this and say, I want to move forward with you. And this is hurting. We can talk about the pain of our feelings without pointing fingers, but often we hear the pointed fingers. And this is the same problem we run into with our kids. If we tell them they're wrong, if we point a finger at them versus just, you know, acknowledging that they need to learn a new skill, yeah, very different outcomes. Our partners too. Let's turn to them. Mm. It takes courage and mm -hmm. some kindness to yourself and to them. Yeah. So I enlist a helper when, when you're going through a transition, a change, who can you get on your team to help you navigate this transition so that your partner doesn't bear all the impact of it and you can come back together. Mm. Those might be professionals who you hire and they might be friends who, and family. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, they might be your community, any, anyone. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's okay. And it's normal to ask for help and to get help because you've oh. never had this experience before. You don't Please know your do. way through it. There's no manual for it. Just like there isn't for parenting. And I say it all the time. We don't put up a shelf without instructions, but let's raise a child with totally. zero instructions. Right. Um, and so, so what I, what I heard you say is really just like, look, if your relationship is on shaky ground right now, you need to slow down and you need to turn to each other, reconnect and find 15 minutes a day. Yeah. Let's be practical into each other. Yeah. Right. Even if you start, I, I mean, you're the expert, not me in this area, but I would say, even if you start with five minutes a day, oh, absolutely. you can just start with a really long kiss. Like I know we made a point of having that, like, like, okay, no, I'm going to intentionally kiss you. There's nothing spontaneous about it, but I'm going to kiss you on the lips. Yes. Okay. Spontaneity is so overrated. The intentional hug that lasts for more than a minute. Yeah. Do it. Oh. Schedule it in. I had to put reminders in my phone while I was doing my PhD. I in raising seven children and doing all these things. I had, oh, it was all so much. I had to put reminders in my phone to go reconnect. And what I would do, this was my, my trick. Cause I'm like, okay, we need more reconnection time. He was working, but we were both working from home. I would I would leave, I would keep my book with me because I was so pressed for time and I would go stand, he was standing at his desk and I would just press my back against his mm. and I would just lean there and we would just be like that for mm. five or 10 minutes. Mm. We, neither of us had the time to stop, you know, six times during the day, but it was a reconnection mm. time. The intentional kiss, the, the question, the tell me something great about your day, not just mm. how are you? Tell me something great about your day today. You know, what, what went really well? Um, just offering somebody that, that turn toward can shift mm. the direction. And you're right mm. to say, start with five minutes, start with one minute, start with one kiss. Kissing mm. is so underrated. 
<laughs> it's, oh, so, it's so lovely. <laughs> it's so underrated. And if you, if you have a person who isn't like your perfect match for kissing, um, retrain them, like take kissing on as an experiment mm. and relearn how to kiss. K kissing can mm. be a pleasure experiment. Like mm. say, you know what? I just heard about this. You can blame it all on Jolie. We should, we should just go back to the basics and figure out what we like. Anything you decide to go back to the basics on is going to serve the whole relationship. So if yeah. you decide, let's, let's figure out how we can kiss in a way that we really like, let's figure out what we want in bed. Let's figure out how, um, how we want to handle homeschooling because it's been thrust on us because of yeah. COVID, whatever it, whatever thing you pick, if you do it as a team, it's going to it's going to increase your overall relational capacity. Yeah. yeah. I, what I really hear is being intentional, being intentional yes. to connect. And intimacy is not just sex. Intimacy is holding hands. Like that is, that is intimate to me. And, uh, and, and it, it boosts your oxytocin, which is your love and happiness hormone, right? That's what yeah, we hack want. that hormone. Do yeah, it. <laughs> like, do it, do it. I'm always touching everybody in my family. Right. And <laughs> in, so, and if you have people in your life who aren't the touchy type, negotiate about what that looks like. So I mm -hmm. sometimes feel touched out still. So my husband figured out over the course of some time, I will always take a foot rub. So he'll go and he'll just put his hands on my feet and he'll be rubbing my feet. And that lets me come back into my body. And, yeah. you know, I didn't know to even ask for it. He did the hard work of figuring out what was the entry point because he's a touch person and I'm a words yeah. person. He wanted more touch, so he figured it out. But if your guy won't figure it out, tell him. Do not make the assumption that your oh, person yeah. can figure you out. Yeah. Let's make it explicit. That's my motto. Let's make it explicit. Like whatever put it, it out is. there. Yeah. Put it out there. And the worst that's going to happen is the conversation's going to go poorly. And then you're going to reach out for a little bit more help because there are resources. I mean, I wrote a book with resources in it. There are lots of resources out there for how to have hard conversations. And it's called Project Relationship, and I have it. And uh, you sent it to me, and you bookmarked a very special, uh, a very spe <laughs> special chapter, chapter. Chapter eight. eight. What's chapter eight called? Um, it might be sex. Yeah, it's, it's called sex. sex. Yeah, thank you. I was Dr. gonna have Jolie. a fun, creative name for it, and then and then I was like, no, nah, it's just sex. Just sex. Oh my gosh. Well, okay. So, uh, so reconnecting. It can, you, you said too, uh, when we were talking ahead of time, that even if you're building your relationship back up again, and that's the foundation, like if sex is really good, but we often, I mean, let's be honest, sex is sometimes a weapon. We withhold it. Uh -huh. We, uh, we ignore it, or sometimes everything else is bad, but the sex is good, but yep, we're not yep. dealing with anything else. Right. So how does sex come into it? I think of sex as one of the ways, it's a lens to look at your relationship, right? It, there isn't one particular, um, there's no right amount of sex or way to mm -hmm. have sex. I don't care whether you're on the vanilla end of the continuum or the kinkier end, all of it's good. But if you are ignoring a whole aspect of being human, which is that sex exists, or if you're presuming that it is normal to just not have sex, and just expecting your partner to get that because you're aging. Like if you're just normalizing that without having intentional conversations, you are leaving off a great big, a great big swath of what you can relate. Sex doesn't have to look a particular way. It may not involve any penetration. It might not involve any, I mean, 
it can just be anything you imagine it to be. Sex is mm. anything you want it to be. If you want to have one conversation that will change your sex life, go back to the beginning and say, hey, um, how do you define sex? What, what is sex? And I lead people through this conversation all the time. And it is shocking to realize, oh, do you know what sex is, Robin? It's not a, there is no one answer. I sit in rooms hmm. full of thousands of sex educators and therapists. They don't have the simple answer. Nobody hmm. does. I have people who'll write down intercourse. And I'm like, okay, but what about this? And I can make a list of 50 other sexual things. Are any of those sex? And usually they're like, oh, I would definitely call this and this and this. <laughs> when we want to build a relationship up, we want to figure out where we, where we match, where we, can, where we can get along, and what needs to get ruled out. I find that when people shy away from talking about sex, it's usually because they're afraid to find out what's in and what's out, what's on the table and what's not. They'd rather live in the fantasy of, it's all going to be fine. It's just going to be fine. It'll, it'll just work itself out. It's not going to be fine. It's not going to be amazing, at least, until you have those conversations. It starts mm -hmm. by building a vocabulary together about how you talk about your sex life with your mm. person. And it is a game changer. My, my relationship now is built with like, sex is a foundational stone to our relationship. And that's great. But if sex isn't a foundational stone to your relationship, okay, where does it exist? And is your partner on the same page with you? Have you mm -hmm. actively negotiated about this so that you have a situation that works for you? A sexless marriage can work for people, but gotta we have to talk about it so that we come to an actual agreement. Otherwise, you are looking to get sideswiped at some point in the future. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants that. No. So do you recommend, you know, broaching the subject? I mean, this is what I would want to do, but I don't know if, if this is what everybody would want to do. But to say, look, I want to have a conversation about this. It's hard for me to talk about. And please, if you can do your best not to criticize me or make fun of me, um, I need this to be the most like accepting conversation possible because otherwise you'll shut down and not want to talk about it again, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Setting some ground rules creates a really positive working agreement. You're, you are creating a little working agreement in that moment, right? So. Yeah. So when you want to have a conversation like this, that might bring up some tender feelings, you can say, mm -hmm. so for the next hour, I'd like to just be able to express how I feel about this stuff and what mm -hmm. I think I want. I don't want to be like, I don't want to be held to it. This is an explore. It's an exploration with you. Let's, mm -hmm. and I, I like a physical manifestation, like light a candle or change your scene, your scene, go outside in a place where you can speak privately. Don't try to have this conversation on a coffee date. That's just not the place for it. I mean, I'll talk about sex anywhere, but most people don't want to. You're going to want to be in a place where you can say the words that you never say, because what mm. the goal is, is to come up with a shared vocabulary. You want yeah. to figure out. I've had clients who never mentioned to their partners what they like to have their vulva called. So their partners, you know, using a word and they don't like it. And that word bothers them. And then maybe, you know, like a presidential mm -hmm. candidate uses that word oh, and it I becomes see. even more loaded. Yeah. It becomes even more loaded. Now they're like, now I'm hearing this and it's not a fun term.
it's, I just lost your sound for a second. Oh, that's weird. Right after a presidential candidate, I said, I see what you're saying. And then you, you, you went on for a bit. Sorry. Okay. No, that's okay. You know, so a word that is now out in the lexicon and you already didn't like it. Now it's gained more baggage and now it's pointed at you at a time when you're supposed to feel opening and softening and instead maybe you feel this closure and this tightness and you feel frustrated. Coming up with a shared vocabulary allows you to really enter into the intimate paradigm, like yeah. really do. And he probably has words like that too. Yeah. Don't work for him. Absolutely. I could see that being almost a violation if you call that Absolutely. part of me that, uh, that, but, but not everybody would. Not right. and, and if we don't, okay, how many people have these conversations in those first, say, three to seven times you have sex? That was a long time ago. Did you yeah. have the conversation? Most people don't set boundaries. They're like, I don't know, it's fine. But over the years, that adds up. And then at some point, you forget that actually you get to set your boundaries and your partner wants to, they're trying to inspire a sexual energy. They don't want to turn you off. They want to turn you on, yeah. but you're going to have to have the conversation where you say, okay, what do we like to call our bodies? And what, mm -hmm. how, what words, you know, like my partner loves the word slippery. He loves the word slippery so much for me. I'm like, I don't know. It doesn't hold a lot of energy for me, but it does right. for him. Yeah. When he told me that I'm like, awesome. I can talk dirty using the word slippery. That means I can also talk dirty in the kitchen. So that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's very cool. Like yeah, I can, I yeah. can, I can literally slip one in. Um, it's great. It's that exploration with him was groundbreaking. Yeah. It changed everything. And since we were at the time dealing with the, oh my goodness, trying to blend a family. It's like being put in a blender. We were trying to yeah. figure out how to do that. And we had little kids at the time. They were you know, three to 12, you know, three to 10 then. I didn't think to ask him these questions. We were just yeah. getting through the days. Yeah. So some of these questions and some of these conversations happened six, 10. Well, now we've been together like in this way. I've known in my whole life, but we've been together this way for 12 years. We still have those groundbreaking questions that we have to ask mm. each other. Like, oh, oh, I didn't know that that was a thing for you. Okay, let's. So everybody's it. homework is to go home. Go home. <laughs> You're probably home, um, and just say, "Hey, I, of course I've got that song in my head. Let's talk about sex, oh. baby." Right? Exactly. <laughs> when you didn't hear me sing, but anyway, you know what I mean. <laughs> That's it. It's it's that you set yourselves a little container. Take yourself on a little sexy conversation date with no expectation that it's going to lead to sex. This is just about talking about it. Yeah. That's enough. Yeah. It's more than yeah. enough. A lot of people find that they do have sex afterwards because they're like, oh, a lot of us nice. are stimulated through our ears very easily. And connection is sexy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And being heard, so sexy. So sexy. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Now, can we transition a little bit to talking about sex to our kids? Because we need to talk to our kids about things like consent. Yes. And, you know, what, yeah. And their bodies. And, and their bodies and their changing bodies and, and all that stuff. So can you kind of walk us through how to, and this is how you say it, I, I'm stealing this from you, how to have shame-free sex education. Okay. I got that term from the absolutely fantastic Dr. Lex Brown. Um, 
go and follow them on Instagram. If you are parenting little kids and trying to figure out how to do the shame, the shame free sex ed, I will put it in the show notes because it's such a good resource, Robin. They have to know, they have to know about Lex, but shame free sex ed is about understanding that sex education is an, is a minute to minute thing. It's not about the talk. The talk is one billion little interactions that you're going to have with your kids between now and when you know, you die basically, because I have adult children and I'm still having these conversations. The sex talk is really about the way we understand sexuality. It's about our attitudes, how we're able to face the, the shame that we felt when we were brought up, the, the, the dark corners that we're a little nervous about the stuff we don't know the answer to, because Mm -hmm. when we don't know the answer to something, or it feels it, it just, ticks that shame box for us in our stuff is so often the case that we will accidentally shame our kids. We'll push their hands away from their genitals, say, while they're changing their diaper, or we'll, we'll teach them a a word that isn't, you know, the actual accurate term for their genitals, Mm -hmm. or we'll accidentally say like, oh, don't touch that. It's dirty. Mm -hmm. And now if so, like, let's just say the easiest example, a baby, A baby touching their diaper area could be a baby putting their hands in poo. That's not what we're looking for, right? But if they reach down and they touch their penis and you say, don't touch that, it's dirty. Does the baby know the difference? No. And so these little moments are an opportunity for us to shift the way we talk. And by shifting that, just start laying the foundation for shame-free sex ed that will grow with you. And it's so much easier if you start at the beginning. Yeah. And kids are naturally curious about that, right? They're curious. They're curious. I mean, kids, they're going to come across sex toys. They're going to come across um, porn. They're going to come across um, people talking about sex. They're going to come across people on Discord servers doing God knows what. This is not an easy time to parent children. We live in a sexualized world. But the thing is, we've always lived in a sexualized world. We exist because of procreation, right? So this is just a reality. If we try to pretend that we can control it, all we're doing is turning a blind eye to the opportunity to actually connect with our children and show them that in fact, they can talk to us about anything, anything. My father lived to be 70 years old. He passed away this last um, October. And some, I think our, our second to last conversation was him talking about how, oh, I really, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know whether I feel well enough anymore, but I really wish I could get some. <laughs> I love, my parents messed up so much stuff, but I love that even, <laughs> even at 70 years old, he felt like it was totally a fine thing to just say that to me because yeah. it was, and it's because there was never shame attached to sex. They really did. They screwed up so many things, but for some reason they were able to really nail this thing. And yeah. It left me in a place to be able to talk about sex with my kids as if it were normal, like the same way I talked to them about going to the bathroom or feeling sick or having joy in their life for other reasons. We talk about mm-hmm. masturbation in a very natural, normal way. We set our family ground rules about how we protect our privacy, but privacy isn't secrecy. If we right. encourage secrecy, for one thing, do you think that's not going to bleed out into other areas? It will. Yeah. Yeah. And it happens at different ages for everybody. Um, the number of women I know who come to me telling me a story about having learned how to pleasure themselves when they were, you know, three, four, five, eight years old, and then get reprimanded for it. 
and they get reprimanded and now there are orgasmic problems that come up later there are shame stories there's just trouble or positions that they don't want to get into because they got caught right it's very normal babies masturbate in the in utero so it's really? always, yeah yeah hey so what do you do good. if you see your child doing that a young child because i think most parents would freak out like uh oh right and then yeah. as most parents do you future you start to future parent like you future uh oh she's gonna be a you know nymphomaniac or whatever you right. call it i don't even know right so right. yeah what do you do okay so first things first remind yourself that sex is totally natural and right and really importantly pleasure is a path toward learning and joy so we don't want to squash the pleasure they're experiencing because don't you later have the hope if you want a future parent think about how do you want your 35 year old daughter to feel about her orgasm think about that not your not your seven right like think about yeah, yeah, that yeah. it's a it's it's it's, it's a tough <laughs> leap to make okay it is. I guess i get you yeah yeah but the message is there the um i say that's when we have the opportunity to talk about privacy and about some kinds of actions being best for privacy in privacy. Right, so exactly. in different households, that's going to look different ways. I taught my own kids that the bathroom is a private place, um, but we also only have two bathrooms and nine of us. So, mm. um, well, so you can't hog the bathroom just because you want private time. So what can you do? Well, you can literally put a sock on the door of the shared bedroom that they have. And just like, this is my private time. I, they have a sign that they can put up that just says like, it's my turn. I'm taking some private time. That might be to watch a TV show. Like sometimes right. they just want to be alone. There are a lot of them. And it yeah, might yeah, be yeah. that they want private time and it's not my business. It's none of their siblings business. And so we normalize the desire mm. to have some privacy and then we open ourselves up to the fact that that discomfort that we felt, we felt it. Our child was experiencing pleasure. This is not personal. Don't take it personally. Since yeah. It's not <laughs> your story. Yeah. Oh yeah, there. It's not right. It's what they're what doing. You? Yeah. It's not about you. And if they are experiencing pleasure and really, so think about it that way. This is just pleasure for them. They don't have a story attached to it. Not until you put mm. one there. That's right. Yeah. It's our story. It's our fear. It's our hangups, right? Um, yeah. It's also, look, it could be, you know, based in our religion too, right? right. And faith and, and all that. So it's very complicated. It is complicated. And if you have, if there is a religious concern, just know that there are people out there talking about shame-free sex ed for every religion I have ever come across. Look mm. toward those leaders. There are, um, uh, Beverly Dale um, speaks about um, a Christian approach to pleasurable um, sex. Um, there are people working on Islamic and Muslim ways to approach sex from this positive. Mm -hmm. Every single text includes something about pleasure. There, like it's not right. like there are ways to approach this. So look to those leaders in your communities. They might exist, and you might not have looked for them yet. Mm. And if we do. We may find that our parenting is our opportunity to reparent ourselves. And oh, 100%. That is the opportunity. Well, and, and to be honest, I've never thought about it in a sex way. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> you know, I know that us being parents is the opportunity to reparent ourselves, but I've never thought about it in in that way. Um, look, I know at growing up, I we did not have positive messages around it. It was definitely a taboo subject. It was a ugh, anytime somebody kissed on the screen, it was you know like oh you know whatever. And there's a good uh, one. Don't 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 like fast forward through sex scenes. Yeah. Don't oh. don't tell them to cover their eyes act like it's normal, make a, make a little joke and say like, well, maybe this isn't the most comfortable thing, but it's just a thing. And we carry on. Right. Allow right. that to be. Right. What? I think I personally have some growth in that area myself, you know, um, like I was just saying the, the way I grew up, it was very, 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 very conservative. I don't really talk about it now. Um, I shared some stuff with you before we started and you know, there, I, I have some, I have some hangups for sure. Um, and when you say that about the movies, that is different. That is different. Um, we don't, I would say that we, gosh, I'm going mean, to say you could this. preview. You could preview. That's for sure. <laughs> I'm going to say that. Yeah. Here's what I'm going to say. I, oh gosh, I'm struggling with saying it. I would almost rather my, oh gosh. <laughs> You, I won't judge you. I won't I judge you. I know you won't. I know. Um, almost rather watch them. What? Sorry. Almost rather have them watch something violent than something sexual. Okay. Then you're a very typical American, even though you're Canadian. <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> so in Europe, it's completely the opposite. Sex really? is very like normalized in, in yeah. their like television experience, but violence gets great big warnings. We have, we have not integrated very well around sexuality, the puritanical basis mm -hmm. for um, what has the dominant culture in the North America is yeah. really challenging because yeah. So would we really rather our children watch bloody violence than a sexual connection? And a lot of people's genuine answer is yes. I feel more comfortable. Part of why is because you can, you could imagine that that's very fake with the other thing could kind of be real. So there's that, but also it's just whatever your stuff is. If this is you and Robin, seriously, like just saying it out loud, don't you feel some awareness that you could actually act on like, okay, is that my truth or is that the story I have always been told? And so it's what I'm living out because you can always transform those attitudes. It's just that it's, you have to actually, somebody has to like ha have the light bulb moment in order to transform themselves. Well, you just like sort of blew my mind a little bit when you were talking about your child in the bathroom, having private time and, um, you know, the story I'm telling myself about it, I'm making it about me. It's not about me at all. Right. But it's fear. It's fear. Um, we just, you know, like, is that okay? That's gross. That's, you know, oh, I can't believe my kid is doing that. How am I going to look him in the eye? You know, did I make sure I've got, and he, well, so, no, let's, so you have boys. Let's, yeah. let's say that. Okay. How, you, how many men of the men who wind up my clients, you know, 95% of them have sexual shame, probably a hundred percent in the 5% haven't said something. Really? And we, we work through that. My own husband, his, we actually did a whole, a couple of episodes on our own podcast where he talked very vulnerably about the shame of just being a person who likes to feel pleasure by touching parts of his own body. This is not, he's a 54 year old man. And he just figured out that that was a shame point for him this January. Wow. And I've been a sex educator the whole time he's known me. It's, 
It's wild how our blind spots can just be there existing. But what, what a different relationship you might have with your boys if instead we tell them, yes, yeah, so that's your pleasure. That's, that's not for you to get from someone else. When you want to share that with someone else, that will be amazing. But your pleasure, no matter whether you're raising boys, girls, non-binary or trans children, their pleasure is theirs. Mm-hmm. And just starting from that position and removing yourself from the equation, removing your imagination of what they're going to become from the yes. equation and just yeah. centering back on, wait, that's their pleasure. Let's, yeah, let's teach them about washing their hands. I absolutely teach my children about washing their hands. I'm like, remember <laughs> where those things have been yes. and wash them, please. Yes. Yes. But that's, I say, I say the same thing about them picking their nose, but yeah, I right. don't shame them about picking their nose. That's right. That's them inserting their finger into a body part, isn't it? Right, right, <laughs> exactly. Well, and like, let's be honest. What were you doing at their age? Because we were all doing something. Oh so like, funny. <laughs> yeah, like, I also think that like, it's our shame of what we did back then too, yes. right? You know, going into that. So my goodness, this is so multi-layered. Like I've already said, I mean, I just say it a bunch of times. It's so interesting. And I know that, I, like, I, like I've said, I know I have my hangups. We try to talk to our boys about stuff. I brought up masturbation the other day and everybody told me to shut up because uh, my husband, I love my, my husband's great. Yeah. But he, the he doesn't want to talk about it. He, he's like, I'm not going to talk to them about that. I'm like, well, but you have to. Who's going to, and now you have to, okay. Somebody's got to, well, here's, has to. here's the thing. It, the, it's it's going to be harder at the beginning and yeah. it will get easier. The sooner you start, the more easeful this will feel. And if you're feeling lots of shame, this is the time to reach out to a great sex educator or a sex therapist who, especially if they talk at all anywhere about parenting, because mm-hmm. it's okay to need help in this area. Mm-hmm. We, everyone, well, I hear all people all the time, like, oh, I don't want my kids to learn sex ed in school because that's a parent's job. And then I'm like, okay, do you know what you need to teach them? Because right. I'll tell you, I teach human sexuality to college students. And they come in and they like, they have so much left to learn. They have so much left to learn and they're open to it, but they didn't know why. Well, their parents didn't know what to tell them. And some of them even got a good school sex ed, like good enough, but there's still Mm -hmm. so much left to cover because sex is part of being human. It's totally just part of the ride really is. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned Dr. Lex Brown, right? Yes, and, and, yes. and, uh, so where, and you have your book, uh, project relationship where, where should, where can parents go to find some good information? Cause I think sometimes I know that I find this with the parents that I work with and even myself, sometimes we just need to know the words to say, yes. we just need someone to spoon feed it to us just to help us. So where can they go? Yeah. So if you're looking for someone to follow, I would follow Dr. Lex. I would, I would follow, um, Yana Talon Hicks also has some great, um, she had a baby just, um, a couple years ago and she's been a sex educator for a long time. And she talks a lot. She has talked, um, on the TEDx stage about porn and is it our sex education now? And what do we do? Yana Talon Hicks is a great resource for, for like, okay, so what are we going to, what are we going to do next? What happens? And then just search that phrase, shame-free sex ed. Okay. There are so many people out there doing it. And I think it's really important that we reach towards someone who we click with, we connect with Yeah. because there are a lot of ways to approach this. Like you said, 
that take into account your, your religious, your cultural backgrounds, your mm -hmm. microcosm. It's okay to have your own standards and want mm -hmm. your, your shame-free sex ed to fit in that. And so you're going to need like kind of specific language. I speak very, very openly and a little crass, honestly, I I'm more like Navy shipyard kind of talking yeah. <laughs> um, and that's how I was raised. So it's very normal yeah. in our house, but somebody else might use very modest language, but have mm -hmm. intentional, clear conversations with their mm -hmm. families. And it is beautiful. It is beautiful mm -hmm. to see. So, yeah. And the reality is if you don't talk about it, you're setting your kids up for they will learn know. from porn. End of story. Right. They oh, will okay, learn yeah. from porn. And that is it, porn. Really. I am not a porn shamer. Porn's great, but it is acting. It is mm -hmm. acting. That is not, it is not sex education. No. So if you want, and, and then they're going to learn through the rumor mill. They're just going to hear what yeah. they hear everywhere. Not even just from their friends. Their friends might have some stuff at least, but just the whatever, the, the everything, TikTok, the everything. Yeah. Well, and more importantly too, it can lead to sexual dysfunction and shame later on in life, which affects your relationship, which affects, you know, the way you bring up your children. Like it matters. It really does it matter. Does. Um, and I can identify with that, you know, oh. I, I really can. Um, it's affected me. So I really get it. And I really agree with what you're saying. It matters. We need to talk about it. We need to normalize it. It's okay. It is natural and it's not wrong or dirty or disgusting or nasty. Or and just keep else. coming back to that word pleasure. Whenever you're thinking about this, be like, mm -hmm. okay, some part of this is about pleasure. I, I, if every time I remind myself that something that feels too edgy, wait, but it's about pleasure for someone. Mm -hmm. Okay. I might not even understand what they're doing. I might not get it empathically, but I can use that word pleasure to remind myself that I can just not yuck their yum. Simple as that. <laughs> just don't yuck their yum. I'm going to yuck their yum. Oh my gosh. That is, that is great. That That's is great. from well, Cindy Lee Alves. Amazing. There's so many wonderful sex educators out there. So you are not actually in a, a desert of sex educators. They exist yeah. out there, you know, use Google. They're there. And absolutely. People can also reach out to me through my website. And if they're looking for someone, I may not be the right person. Cause I tend to work with people who want to do a deep, deep dive. So I might mm. not be the person for a short question, but I can often point her up to a resource. Mm. Yeah. Well, and I, I'm going to have uh, Nikita Ren Thigpin on my show Excellent. soon. Uh, Nikita yeah, will so bring the sex as well. Nikita no problem. Will. Nikita <laughs> is a pretty special lady. Uh, and I know she speaks uh, so highly of you, Jolie. So uh, she, she we just really get stuff. each other. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now you have, so we, we touched on this really quickly and then we, then I, then we, then I moved past it, but the curiosity date is the gift that you have for all of our listeners in the toolbox. So you just go to the toolbox website, parent, uh, it's parent-toolbox.com, uh, and you join the membership. And from there you can get resources from amazing experts like Dr. Jolie Hamilton. Uh, and she has a curiosity date. So what's the curiosity date about? And by the way, tonight's Friday, today's Friday, and I'm going to use it with my husband tonight. So I just want you to know, yeah, I'm going to do it. And then it's amazing. The curiosity date I invented um, after reading that, that New York Times story about the 47 questions to fall in love with anyone. And I read it and I was like, oh yeah, questions, right. I believe in curiosity. Hey, when's the last time I asked my husband, really asked him a question with total curiosity, not expecting that I knew the answer. The curiosity date is a couple, just a page to read to yourself and like get yourself in the right place. 
to mm. enter into a space of really, really opening up into the not knowing. We spend mm. so much time imagining that we know our partners that we don't actually know who they are today. So yeah. this is a time to suspend our, our imagination that we know them and allow them to, to answer questions. And I give a list of over a hundred questions that you can bop around. It's not like a, you have to get through the questions. You might only talk through three questions in a 90 minute date, but it's a free date that you can do anywhere. And some of the questions are sexy and some of them are really poignant mm. that you can make the date what you want it to be, but it is, it is absolutely like earth shattering stuff can come up when you suspend for just a moment the idea that you know them perfectly because now mm. now you introduce a little bit of newness and yeah. every relationship can can thrive with a little a little fresh water a little fresh air right yeah. invite yeah. that right in well i'm excited to do that i think that's really great i hope other people will do that too and you know what i'd love to see people getting closer and more connected connection is just everything right uh it just allows you to to be able to just show up authentically and the deeper you are connected, you know, hopefully the, there won't be shame. There won't be judgment. There will just be acceptance and curiosity. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I think that's really great. Thank you for this so much. Thank you for this discussion. That has made me a little uncomfortable, but that's okay. I can get I over like it. it. We're, yeah. at the, we're at the edge of the comfort zone, which we all yeah. know is where real transformation, real learning happens right at the edge there. So thank you for mm -hmm. braving that. <laughs> You're welcome. Hey, I sang for the first time on my podcast. So there you go. I mean, I love it. Talk about they're, sex, they're singing. It's everything. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I love it so much. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Jolie Hamilton. We'll put all of your details in the show notes because look, you are so amazing. And I love that you're so open and honest. And I love that you talk about it being shame-free because let's be honest, it needs to be right. Yes. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you like my work, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who like my content and want more, visit me at yellingcurebook.com to get your copy of my book and to find other resources to help you. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace and connection.